Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to yet another Forza Italian Football Podcast. It doesn't feel like that long ago that we were here with you, and, well, that's because, to be frank, it wasn't. We were here on Wednesday night, it's now Sunday night, and we're back again. I'm fresh back from the Stadio Ennio Tardini. Amazingly, it's been great to be back. So, I am joined by Vito, Doria, Kev, Pogzelski. I'll start with you, Vito, this evening. How are you feeling? Look, a little bit better on the plus side is that uh, BN Sports managed to uh, start showing Serie A games again. So that's something. And uh, whatever full games I didn't watch over the weekend, I'll be able to watch a replay once we finish this pod. So, yeah, at least that was some good news in the last few days. Otherwise, it's been pretty much a bit of a downside, really. Mm. Business as usual then for you, I suppose. Like me, getting back to a, to a stadium, which has been quite nice. Kev Pogzowski. Firstly, congratulations, mate. Congratulations for your team winning the Premier League title. Uh, I know you've had to wait a long, long time for that. And there are very few Liverpool fans I know who I am genuinely happy for. But sincerely, you are one of them. So congratulations. Well, thank you, Connor. I'd, I'd kind of forgotten that amongst all my positivity about Syria coming back. This being the first weekend where... It felt like it was fully back. All the games over one weekend. You're back in the stadium. Yeah. Brilliant way to start the pod, eh? So you've waited 30 years for something and within four days you've forgotten this happened. Uh, uh, a hard week this week made it hard to uh, celebrate as I'd like to. Also, anyway, he's not being there. Look, we're not the um, Liverpool football podcast. We are the Forza Italian football podcast and as you said we were back in the stadiums this week and I felt very very privileged we'll start with with Parma Inter shall we because I was there I'm I'm in the door about 20 minutes having gotten back at 1am it's it's strange but um it was absolutely the correct decision given the temperatures in Parma today it was um as high as 35 degrees but felt like 39 which is no temperature to be playing football in Parma lost 2-1. Inter left with possibly the most undeserved three points that I've seen since I've been reporting at games here in Italy. But let's let's start by talking about the experience, shall we? Um, from a personal point of view, it was quite strange. I have been to a game behind closed doors before in Italy at the Stadio Giuseppe Miazza, actually, for Inter Benevento in the Coppa Italia last year. So it wasn't quite as strange as that. But... All of the, um, what's the word, the protocol, the, the normal going about your business was very different. Walking in, having your temperature checked by this really cool machine, actually. And then collecting the accreditation from a different place. 
the usual entrance was closed so we had to like almost sneak in a back entrance at the very very top of the stand and walk along a corridor that people quite clearly usually don't walk along and then like climb out into the press box in a very unusual fashion and then watching the players come out one at a time was unusual seeing them climb up into the stands and the teams coming out one at a time it was very strange a very strange experience and I know people are are quite bored about hearing how strange things are because football's been back for quite a while now particularly with the Bundesliga as a term but going to a game and seeing it firsthand you you do notice just how strange everything is. Um, one of the things that, actually, we'll, we'll get onto that in a minute, but uh, the game as a whole, Kev, Parma can feel very hard done by, can't they? Yeah, they can. They, they didn't really maybe take their chances or maybe create as clear-cut chances as they, they would have liked. Um, every time Kulisevsky drove forward with the ball, the the inter players looked like they were you know they were freaking out they were so scared of the not just the speed at which he moved forward with the ball but the power as well you know struggling to uh, sort of shake him off the ball at any time and um, yeah they looked they looked certainly out of sorts and you wondered whether uh, that was a bit of a, a hangover from the uh, disappointing result uh, against Sassuolo uh, midweek yeah what do you put it down to Vito because I know inside at the stand it was quite striking that Palmer were looking early on through Gervinho to to kind of hit that side that was monitored by Danilo D'Ambrosio and Antonio Candreva which is obviously not a combination that's going to be able to keep up with all that much pace and trickery but then on the other side you had Dejan Kruzevski who was also <laughs> destroying who was there Cristiano Baraghi um, and Palmer destroyed them early on uh, they were pretty much the greater threat going forward in the first half. Although Parma do defend deep, they rely on the counter-attacks. And when they do counter-attack, they show that they were able to put Inter under pressure. And to be honest, I thought they had about maybe another, say, three, uh, two or three chances to probably extend their lead. I thought... Although Inter were the ones with the greater possession, uh, Parma created the better chances and probably should have had the game wrapped up before half-time. Unfortunately, towards the end of the game, that's where things collapsed for them and uh, it really took Antonio Conte's substitutions to really change the game around. Before that, it didn't look like uh, Inter were going to muster any sort of a comeback. No, it really, really didn't. And like you said, from early on, Parma were just getting at them. They were they were counter-attacking to great effect. They they should have been two or three in a look before. Maybe before half time. I'm trying to think. Cornelius, yeah, th- those chances were down down my end. They should have been two or three up by half time and they weren't. But Gervinho, he he got his goal, Kev. And one of the stranger things to happen tonight was in response to the goal, they they announced it as usual. Um, the announcer came over and did his Cornel numero and just shouted his name himself. And it was really strange. And that was a reminder of just how lonely this whole experience was for me. Yeah, there's a there's a few things that I, I would happily live without uh, during the behind closed doors games or lockdown games, whatever we're describing now, isn't it? It's the announcers doing that with the uh, with the goal scorers. I could just about live with the uh, substitutions being announced because you know you guys there need to hear them. But um, the other thing, slightly in the Bundesliga where they play this awful music, I don't think we have that in many places in Italy. But that's something else that doesn't really need to be there with. Uh, well, it doesn't need to be there with fans, but certainly uh, without it doesn't. Do you think they do it for the players? Like if you if you're a player and you score, it must be quite nice to hear someone shout your name like that I've, I've heard a lot about you know some of the things they do just to maintain that level of normality for the players um, but yeah I don't, I don't know if this is one of those things that would that would count um, in those list of things that they're doing to try and keep things as normal as possible yeah maybe just for the, the ego or the confidence if, if nothing else one, one thing was quite funny actually when the players were coming off at half time one of the, the Parma communications team was was trying to grab one of them to do the obligatory halftime, not press conference, the halftime interview. 
uh, and they all just said no. And Luigi's FA made a gesture that was quite amusing, but I felt bad for the Parmacom's guy because it's obviously not an easy job to try to get the players to do this. In the end, I don't think anyone did it, so Parma will probably get in a bit of trouble for that. But on to Inter. Vito, they were, they were really poor for 75-80 minutes, and they got the goal in the 87th minute. The first goal in the 83rd or 84th, the second in the 87th. Only after Yorikutska got sent off for... I don't really know what he said, to be honest. I'll try to find out, but at the moment, it remains to be seen. It must have been quite bad if he got sent off for it, but... Is it a concern that it took Inter that long to break down a Parma side who were happy to sit back? And bearing in mind that it did take Bruno Alves being shifted to the other side of the fence, uh, <laughs> Vasco Regini coming on, and Inter making a lot of substitutes to get the winner themselves. Yeah. Well, I thought that uh, Parma putting on Vasco Regini was asking for trouble. And because... Uh, you know, he might be a nice person, but as a footballer, at least at Serie A level, he's just not up to scratch as a defender. So that was uh, that was sort of a little bit of a hint that Inter could have some hope. But, yeah, just those substitutions, they, they managed to make a real difference. And it was the involvement of the substitutes that really made the difference for the Nerozzurri at the end. If we talk about Inter in general throughout the game, I thought I thought they looked rather lackluster and they weren't playing at the high tempo that Antonio Conte usually demands from his players. And I thought that uh, Nicolo Barella was probably the one that showed like he had a bit of desire and was willing to put in an effort, even when Inter were really struggling to create plays. So probably he was one player that... Pl- played well for 90 minutes, but the rest of them uh, looked rather uninspiring or demotivated, whereas the subs, they were the ones that really had to shake the team up. I think you're spot on there. Barella was actually quite good. The only time he was exposed was then, was when Kulusevsky went on a, I don't know, a 40-yard run and left him for dead. But other than that, Barella was one of the impressive players for Inter, and then Bastoni proved his importance when he came on. But Kev, is this new five substitutes thing something that's going to to only increase the difference between the good teams and the bad teams, the teams with money and the teams with not? Because Inter brought on Victor Moses, Ashley Young, Alexis Sanchez, Alessandro Bastoni and Borja Valero, whereas Parma brought on Vasco Regini. Yeah, but in... in... Tonight's instance, I don't think it was the necessarily the quality of the players just overloading the you know the the, the sort of imbalance between defence and attack to just sort of put Palmer under that amount of pressure. Um, as I think I said last week, I don't think it was the time before uh, about how having more uh, or better quality subs available to you can obviously give you more options to change formations and things, but actually. If you've got a set all started in 11 and you're maybe only making two or three or maybe now four changes, but like for like and keeping that structure to the side, it might actually play into the hands of the, the sides with smaller squads that are forced to sort of stick with the players they've got. Because if, if the game plan's working like it was for Palmer for a majority of the match, then surely you, you want to stick with those players for as long as injury and um, fitness allows. Mm. It did seem like Palmer just tired, and that was the difference in the end. Uh, Castro Dermacu was excellent, and to be fair, Bruno Alves, I, I know I talk about him a lot, but he genuinely didn't give Lukaku a sniff while he was marking him. And then when he shifted over to the right, that's when the problems came. I think both of Inter's goals came with Regini on the pitch and Dermacu not on the pitch. Correct me if I'm wrong, Vito's nodding his head, that's good enough for me. I think that exposes quite a serious problem there. And hopefully Dermaku can can get back into the eleven. I do think he's by far Palmer's best second centre-back behind Bruno rather than Simone Iacoponi. But enough on that. Lazio, we had another person at another stadium this weekend. And Oh, hang on. Actually, no. Because, Kev, you, you just reminded me with a, a disappointed facial expression that you wanted to raise something from this Palmer game that you heard. Well, I'm going to make one point before I raise the okay. second point, which is I think the fact that you quite tellingly said into a poor, you know, and, and Vito was nodding along. And then this whole 
playing behind closed doors and the advantage that allegedly has disappeared. And Connor, you actually wanted to speak about this. Mm, I did, yeah, thank you. And, and there's been a lot across all of the major leagues that have gone back uh, to football behind closed doors is this discussion around home advantage for these sides. And actually, as I was watching the game tonight, I thought, wow, Inter have been terrible. And actually, if there were fans in the stadium, there would be some myth created around the fact that the Tardini had created that atmosphere that, that made them weak. I think actually big sides that go away and have losses, unexpected losses, probably hide behind where they're playing opposition that play in some quite sort of intimidating atmospheres. Whereas I don't think actually if the home crowd had been there tonight, it would have saved Palmer from losing the game because they were very sort of poor errors they made with leaving Bastoni uh, free, you know, unmarked at the back post. And somebody was um, saying on something I was watching last week about when you're a weak side and you're trying to stick to your formation and play very rigid and disciplined to sort of play a bigger side, actually having the home crowd willing you on can often get a player worked up and then he goes off into, you know, out of position and leaves a gap behind him or does something stupid and gets himself sent off. And I think we saw Kuchka get sent off for the scent without the fans sort of going in to do it. So I'm not, I'm not entirely sold on the whole home advantage uh, no longer there for the sort of smaller sides. I just, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's purely speculative on my part, but I couldn't help think as soon as that second goal went in, the first thing I thought was, that doesn't happen if there's if there's fans here because Parma don't do that. But well, I've never seen Parma collapse like that, and I guess it could be in part because they're they're tired, right? They've they've played two away games already. Um, the Genoa game maybe they shouldn't be too tired from that, but that's that's another issue. I don't know. I'm just I couldn't escape the feeling and. Who knows? Maybe Kuzka wouldn't have been sent off if there were fans there because the referee wouldn't have heard what he said. But I'm, I'm still, I'm quite intrigued as to, as to what he did say. Can Antonio Conte was banned from the touchline. Yes, I could see him. He was very close to me. But I assume he can't shout because in an empty stadium, surely I was half expecting him to be bellowing out instructions from where he was. Didn't actually hear too much from him. Um, for the first, say... 60 minutes, 50, 60 minutes, maybe a little bit less. He was quite visibly angry. He was stressed. He was forward in his chair, like standing up on the chair in front of him and stuff, going crazy. And then he seemed to give up. It was quite bizarre. He just kind of sat back and you know, I couldn't really, I could just see his legs and his arms because his head was, was hidden then. But yeah, I, he, he didn't seem to be too vocal, but messages will have been passed down, won't they? They, they use phones and earpieces and stuff, so. And, yeah. uh, and and on that note, that was what we heard at the very end, you know, because being able to bring a second TV, I get to watch these games or some of these games with the wife. And, and as the clock was running down, it was 95 minutes. Inter on the attack. Victor Moses is running alongside the side of the box. And all you hear is, Victor, Victor. And then he... He hits the he hits the first man. He think the fucking hell, and it was clearly perfectly audible English. It was <laughs> Romelu Lukaku, who you could see with his hands on his head, just stood at the middle of the goal, probably two yards from the goal line. So it was Lukaku who shouted, it, not Lukaku just absolutely berating Victor Moses for not playing oh. all over. But I didn't hear that, and I could hear Lukaku quite a bit throughout the game. So I, it might have been just a case of me getting lost on my match report at that point, but. Um, one thing on the on the shouting, Bruno Alves' voice is the most Portuguese old man angry voice you'll ever hear. There was a, an incident in the first half that he was complaining about, and it was it was quite funny hearing him shout from the other end of the stadium. Anyway, we have spent too long on this now, so we're going to go on to Lazio. We did have Alistair McKenzie at the Stadio Olimpico. It it, it sound, honestly, I cannot express how happy I am to be able to say that again. We're back at the games. Um, we will speak to him in a moment, but first, there was a controversy in this one. There was a controversy. Vito, talk us through it. Well, the the controversy is due to the penalty that Lazio got awarded. Felipe uh, Casado, um, you know, the ball, but uh, he started 
well, he started diving, let's put it bluntly, and then uh, Bartolu Dragonsky, Dragonsky, he managed to um, still make contact with him. So um, Lazio were awarded a penalty, that made it 1-1, and then Luis Alberto got the winner to make it 2-1. So close win, but uh, yeah, a lot of people are up in... uh, rage uh, up in arms because of uh, the decision regarding Caicedo's tumble, should we mm. say. Yeah, and it was that, right? Drangovsky came out, but it was a dive kept. Yeah, he was... He, he took the touch, and I think he could have probably got to the ball, but he probably almost decided before uh, the ball was dropping in the sky that if he got anything on it, he was then just sort of he almost leant. He he let, he fell sideways, so he intentionally made contact with a goalkeeper. And I just, you know, we're in an age now where with VAR, I can't understand how these things are still given. Yeah, why is that? I don't understand it either. Is it the clear and obvious thing? But surely, I mean, I think they just... put in sometimes by the contact. That yeah, you know, and then this is where the sort of discussion we've just had about home advantage. You know, well, even definitely without VAR, but in previous years when you'd have uh, an almost full uh, Stadio Olimpico sort of up in arms about the uh, the sort of just the contact, then, you know, you can understand them, them being given. But people for also having no fans in the stadium would sort of mean that the uh, officials were slightly more partial because studies have shown that they do kind of get drawn by the crowd reaction. Mm. Any more to say on last year's win? Frank Ribery, actually. We'll give him some credit, right? He's a joy. I, I know we, we have said it a few times, but it's great that he's come back from his injury. He's obviously not getting any younger, and he's still producing some moments of Magic Vita. Oh, that was a superb goal. Um, just when I had to rewind it to see it again, uh, I just thought he, where he started, he was situated on that right central midfield channel, so he was around there to receive the ball, but he still continued his run and managed to get to the left wing. And then after Dalbert headed the ball in his path, he still had the confidence and the skill to dribble past those defenders and then last that ball into the net. So, yeah, really one uh, for the highlights reel. And even though that he's 37 years old, you know, it shows that at least he's still got a bit of class in him. Yeah, on, on Ribery, I just love the way, even for obviously his size, that he, he rolls players. Yeah, he, he seems to have this awareness of even if two players are coming in and he sort of shields the ball and then he's off and he's gone. And it's like, that's, that's why well, it's talent, but also the experience of doing that for nearly 20 years in the professional game. He's class. He's absolute class. Um, I'm going to go speak to Alistair McKenzie now because he was at the stadium. We'll talk to him a little bit about I guess the experience at the Olympico and Lazio. Alistair, it's great to be speaking to you again. Having having us both been at games this weekend, it's it's a strange state of affairs, but it, it's nice. I'm sure you'll agree that we were both back. But you were at the Olympico, which is considerably bigger than the Tardini. So what was the, the general experience there like? How were things different and, and things like that? Let the listeners in. Yeah, I mean, the experience was obviously a lot different than um, than what we usually have when we go and cover these games. Um, the process of actually getting into the stadium was was a lot stricter in terms of having to actually go through a couple of checkpoints and bring a self-certification form in advance that basically you sign off saying that you haven't had any coronavirus symptoms or haven't been in contact with anyone who has. Um and then once once you actually got into the ground as well, having had your temperature taken and everything, um, it's really down to, I suppose, the individual clubs, what the experience is like after that, because everyone's on the same wavelength. I think my worries going into this was that the Olympico is obviously such a massive stadium, a uh, big ball, that it would be really uh, quite an eerie experience being there in comparison to smaller grounds. Um, but Lazio, I, I don't have anything to compare this to yet, but uh, I can only commend them for their efforts and actually still trying to make it a spectacle because there are various things going on pre-match. I mean, 
it was quite funny, quite bizarre seeing that they still played the kind of dance music and had strobe lights going off when the team was introduced for the warm-up, despite there being absolutely nobody there <laughs> in front of them. Um, and then beyond that, yeah, they had, they've had they done these, a, f- a few kind of um, initiatives where they've got videos, pre-recorded videos of, of fans who are reading out the, the team sheet when it's announced and then singing the club anthem before as well. And then there was quite a poignant moment where a guitarist came onto the centre spot before the game, played a guitar solo and some kind of um, moving music by an Italian composer was played with a projection of an eagle flying in various messages and it was basically a moment to remember all the people who've actually died of the coronavirus in Italy and it was a stark reminder, I suppose, of, of why we why we were here in this situation in the first place, which is always worth um, keeping in mind while this is going on. Um, so then beyond that, I mean, the game itself, it was, it was a very strange experience because as I found actually watching the Closed Doors games on TV as well, I found, I, I felt actually a bit closer to the action, a bit closer to the game than, than ever before because you can hear um, a lot more clearly than on the TV as well. Every single bit of communication between coaches, between players, you can see how they communicate with each other. Um, and on top of that as well, I noticed that the actual physicality of the game was a bit more apparent without any fans there because you could hear the impact of the ball, you could kind of feel the impact of these challenges, even the hear the kind of impact of their feet on the ground as they sprinted and so on. And it really kind of um, struck me that as well that the not only the communication between players but the actual physical impact of the game was something that you can actually see in front of you a lot more clearly than when you have the distraction of fans around you, if that makes sense. Um, I've written a piece about this experience that will be on the website on Monday. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my, my kind of takeaway from it all is that, yes, it's a very odd experience. Um and it was a privilege to be there and be in a position to be able to actually watch the game from the ground. But um, if anything, it's just highlighted once again how important the fans are to um, not only just to football, but actually Serie A in particular, where the colour and the noise of the fans for the majority of Serie A teams is such a huge part of the match day experience. And it it was really lacking something. Thankfully, it was a good game, but it was really lacking something in their absence. Given what happened with Lazio's first game back, I'm not trying to just rub it in, I promise. With the, the collapse away in Bergamo at Atalanta, blowing a two-goal lead to, to lose 3-2, this win was, was very much needed, and it didn't always look like it was going to come. A lot of people talk about the goals of Chiro Mobile and everything like that, but you you express the belief that their mentality is actually more important than even the contribution of Luis Alberto and Mobile and, and the others. I honestly think that the transformation that Simone Inzaghi has made um, on this team in terms of their approach to games mentally, in terms of their ability to react to adversity, to be able to stay in games and never give up on them, has been the most important facet to to how well they've done this season. I mean, more than anything else, because this is the one thing that a, a talented Lazio team previously tripped up on, and they became almost infamous for these blackouts that they suffered in games at the end of 17-18 season, famously against Inter, but there have been various examples over the years. But yeah, the comeback, uh, the comeback win has become almost a hallmark of this season, and as well as scoring late goals, which is another great example of this. But we saw this obviously again uh, on Saturday night against Fiorentina, but this wasn't the first time. I mean, Lazio beat Rennes, having gone behind one nil back in October in the Europa League group stages, and that was the first time they'd had a comeback win in any competition for almost a year and a half. So that tells you a lot about where the team's mentality was at before, where they couldn't recover a losing position at all in any competition, to a position now where this comeback win against Fiorentina was just the latest in quite a long line of examples that includes beating Juventus, having gone behind, beating Inter, having gone behind, uh, coming back from 3-0 behind to draw 3-3 with Atalanta, um, also beating Cagliari, uh, beating Brescia. I mean, there have been so many examples of Lazio doing this throughout the season. And Ciro Mobile after the game, said something along the lines of, um, "We, if we can't win with our legs, we'll win with our hearts. And I think that kind of sums up 
the approach this team has had this season. And the really encouraging thing from a Lazio perspective from this game was to see that attitude again. And I, I've said before already, but I'll say it again, that I think honestly that this uh, Lazio winning in this manner, although it still wasn't exactly their most convincing performance, them winning in this manner will do more for this team in season running than if they'd won this game 5-0, because this team really, uh, you know, it, it flourishes when they feel like they're up against it, when they've got a point to prove, and I think that the wind is really in their sails, and they've kind of regained the momentum that they had before now by winning a game in this manner. Obviously, Penalty decision was contentious. I don't think it was a penalty myself. I think it went down far too easily. But the rub of the green goes both ways. And this time it's in Lazio's favour. They have won the game. And I think it's going to do a hell of a lot for their chances of staying up there for the rest of the season that they've managed to win the game in this way and managed to yeah, prove once again that this team has the mental fortitude even when they have so many issues around injuries and squad depth and so on to actually get the result that they need. And we're back. So uh, I suppose we should go to the first game of the weekend, which or the weekend. It was actually a weekend this time. No, I, I was right when I first spoke, which was Juve Lecce. And it's fair to say that Juve struggled in the first half. But then Paolo Dybala, as in Bologna, got the breakthrough with another really, really nice goal. Cristiano Ronaldo scored a penalty. A fleeting appearance from Gonzalo Higuain. Ended with a goal with his only shot of the game, and then Mathis de Ligt scored the fourth. Kev, were you impressed by Juve? Or um, well, we discussed last week that they're not exactly um, entertaining uh, at, at times. I think this was one of the cases where I thought, unlike last week, probably man for man, it just showed the quality that they had. Um, they almost they almost carried that swagger that when they wanted to turn it on, they could turn it on. And, and I think probably a couple of those goals they got at the end was just them sort of pushing a little bit firmer on the uh, exhausted Lecce back line to, to sort of get a scoreline that probably greater reflects their wage bill, if not their superiority on the night. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Let's share I thought, you know, they looked like they were actually having a decent crack in the first half. But once uh, Fabio Luccioni got himself sent off, uh, I thought that did a bit of damage for Lecce. But even at halftime, it was still nil-nil. So when I thought about how Juve played, it didn't look like that the style of play was uh, really convincing. It was only until about five minutes or so into the second half that 
Douglas Costa came on and he added a bit more speed and a bit more X factor. And I reckon that allowed the rest of the Bianconeri squad to get more confidence, uh, unsettle that Lecce defence a bit more, and uh, it paid off. Yeah, I think the sheer number of saves that Gabriel had to make showed just how the, the losing a man affected Lecce and that they were probably exhausted from keeping Milan out for so long midweek. Mm. Lecce did actually did do quite well before they went down to 10 as well. They, they could have even taken the lead at one point. I can't remember who had the chance, but they came pretty close. One of the, the other bigger games this weekend was in Milan, where, where Milan beat Roma 2-0 in what is a huge result with big implications in not only the the fight for the Europa League places, but obviously the Champions League places as well, because Roma are now nine points behind Atalanta. And then Milan have obviously pulled a little bit clear of Verona and Parma and, and Cagliari. So they're now three points behind Napoli, who in turn are three points behind Roma. Is that now a three-way fight between Milan, Napoli and Roma for, for fifth? Yeah, I, I think so. I think mean, also because after that, after that result today, you had Parma dropping those points. Um, Atalanta went obviously and won, so it's it's almost everything that's happened after that result uh, earlier in the day has sort of left us with that sort of scenario for the last few weeks. Of course, I kind of forget at times how many uh, match days we still got left in Syria. It's uh, mad, isn't it? It's mad. Yeah, particularly when you're sitting here in shorts and <laughs> expecting people to go on their summer holidays. Don't talk to me about shorts. I can barely wear them at the moment because it's too hot for even those. Too hot for even those. Although yeah, a day at the pool today was very much enjoyed. My first pool day of the year, so I'm a bit pink. But no one wants, no one cares about that, do they? Vito, what did you make of Milan? A big win for them. Were you, were you impressed? Oh, look, with Milan... I think at this stage, they should just be happy to get the results. They've improved a little bit, but um, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, them just gathering the momentum and, uh, you know, obtaining those results. And even though they had to wait until the last 15 minutes or so to get the goals, I think beating a team like Roma is important for the aspirations if they really do want to get into the Europa League. Kev, big Teo Hernandez played a big part again for, for Milan. How good was he? He won a penalty. <laughs> Other than that, he was as, as woeful as a lot of the players on the pitch in the first 45 minutes. Does that count as an assist? Um, I don't know. On the app that I see scores going in across Europe, it doesn't give them for penalties, but uh, okay. I don't know what the the top bods at Syria or uh, Figure Chi give. So. I, don't, I don't think so. I think um, fantasy football sometimes give it, but... But yeah, I, I was quite disappointed in uh, Smalling actually for giving it away um, because he was he was uh, you know it was another really strong performance for him. He was heading everything away. Anything that came in high into the box was was sort of just nodded clear by him. But it was just they were they were just tired. It looked it looked extremely hot uh, in Milan, and um, it it wasn't the greatest spectacle until probably the last half an hour. Big for them to win though, Kev, without. Without Zlatan, right? Rebic obviously scored the first and then Chalonoglu got the penalty. And two different goal scorers, Zlatan not about promising. Yeah, they, they looked really devoid of uh, sort of an attacking focal, focal point or target man. It was, it was obvious to see because Rebic was pulling wide almost any time a, a, a Milan, well, the few times a Milan attack built up in the first half. He was never there whether you want him to come short or run onto something. And at the start of the second half, there was a, a Spinazzola passed the ball back way too short for Moranti. And Rebic was on it like a shot, but straight through the middle. Nicked it past him. Moranti had run out. And uh, you thought, oh God, there's going to be a penalty here within the first couple of minutes. And uh, and, and the goalkeeper pulled back and, and Rebic took a heavy touch and it went out. But... They, it looked like he had to be told to to play that role. And actually, when uh, Rafael Leal came on, he was a much more robust sort of physical presence there for Milan to play off. They'd already gone one 0 up at that point, but it allowed the likes of Hernandez to come in and play off of that focal point because it was almost like a quick exchange of passes that, that brought him into the box. So they need to they need to solve that if they're going to win more games. Yes, 
they they absolutely do. They absolutely do. Mm, Napoli. They beat Spal 3 1. Uh, I'm trying to confirm that. It was 3 1, yeah. Uh, it wasn't always the easiest, though. It was 1 all at one point. Big Andrea Patania scoring against, um, I suppose, his actual club because he has been signed by, by Napoli. He's just staying on, on uh, Spal until the end of the season. And Vito, it's another big win for them. I know they they would expect to beat Spal, but getting the job done is another thing. Altogether, Juve even had struggles against Spal this season back in February. And Gattuso just keeps getting this team trucking along. Yeah, that's right. Uh, they did play Spal, so I think because they are a team battling with relegation, that's a, that's allowed them to play a bit more open than what they did, say, compared to the games against Juve and the other big clubs uh, against the more the rivals for European spots, I think they've played more cautiously under Gattuso and the uh, focus on uh, solidarity and robustness is there. Uh, against the uh, Estancy, in this case, uh, they were able to play a bit more freely or show a bit more attacking verve. And I think a great example of that is the opening goal that was scored by Dries Mertens with uh, Fabian Ruiz with that superb through ball and then... Dries Mertens to chip it like he did just shows, you know, what a great goal scorer he's been. He's not just a prolific one, but he has short, scored his share of lovely goals. Am I right in saying Fabian played the ball in for the... He did for Amin Yunus' goal as well. That was a beautiful mm. cross. He's kind of turning it on again, Kev. Do you think the break has kind of brought the best out of him? Um, yeah, it, it was one, there was one of the uh, Coppa Italia games where he looked like he wasn't quite on it. So it's taken him, uh, you know, a couple of games to get back up to speed. Um, I think it's a bit hard to judge, as Vito sort of pointed out. Spal, they weren't great. Leave them alone. I know, but there was, you know, I, I watched the goal because I kind of had it. I had it playing alongside Atlanta, so I was only half watching, and it wasn't until. I saw the whole build-up from one end. It was a breakaway, but it wasn't a breakaway with like the speed and the directness of uh, their equaliser against Inter in the Coppa Italia, which came directly from a... You know, it was almost a slow passing move. And you're thinking, at four minutes into the game, the spell players should be breaking their necks to even, you know, commit the odd, you know, foul that's probably going to get not, you know, not receive a booking for in those opening minutes. Yet they didn't. It, they, they seemed a little bit almost resigned to the fact that they will be going down. Not a lot of pace in that Spal team, though. Uh, beyond Mamadvarez, Strepet and Retz, I mean. But it started in the, it started in the Napoli box, and they were, they were going to, you know, I think it was from a corner, but they were soon going to be outnumbered, and that's where, you know, a quick tactical foul, especially yeah. four, minutes in the, uh, four minutes into the game, you should be making those. And You can't well, be relying on Petania Cherry, Miseroli, Morgia, Felipe, Vicari and Chonak to be running and I know that's a uh, sorry state of affairs it's when you look at the Spal team you realise that maybe they have been punching above their weight for a couple of years and they're, they're going back down to what is possibly more their level which is a, which is a shame because they, they served us well over the last few years wow, they gave us some good moments um, speaking of, of teams that keep delivering good moments I mean Atalanta went away to Udinese and they, they left with all three points three more goals taking the the tally for this season in all competitions to 97. There's still about 10 games left. It's mad. Um, Udinese went... No, they didn't. Atalanta went 1-0 up. Udinese levelled. Atalanta went 3-1 up. Thanks to super sub Luis Lucho Muriel. And, I mean, he's, he's having his own goal of the week competition this week, Vito. You must be enjoying it. Oh, they were two beautiful goals as well. Uh, the free kick was just something out of the ordinary. Mm. You know, good distance out of the box and then just to thump it past Musso like he did, that was just superb. And then the volley, his uh, second goal for the game, that was another stunning strike, you know. A lot of power in it too. So uh, Musso has probably been one of the few positives of this rather uninspiring Udinese side, to say the least. But... Uh, he was beaten by two world-class goals by Muriel then. And even the Zapata finish in the first half was 
quite a mm. neat strike too. Yeah, the pass. The pass from Papu Gomez. He mm. scooped it. He scooped it up as high as the stadium. And it just dropped down. The first touch from Duvan was beautiful. And then the finish as well. Um, but which of which of Muriel's goals did you prefer, Vito? Uh, look, as beautiful as that free kick was, it was probably one of the best ones we'll see this season. But, I mean, I'll give the, the second one he scored the benefit of the doubt simply because it was from open play, you know. Because... You know, it's not a dead ball. You're still going to have opponents trying to close you down and all that. And, yeah, um, yeah, just overall, just a fabulous strike. Kev, your facial reaction suggests you might agree with me on this one. Uh, yeah, there's a, it's when I think of goals from purely sort of the, the beauty of them. And actually, after Friday night, where that one from Dybala, it did this thing where it went in the side netting, but it, it, it curled round with... Yeah, it like hugged the net. Yeah. So, you know, that I thought, oh, that's that's a beautiful strike, even if it's, you know, the opposition isn't great. Whereas uh, Muriel's free kick, it's one of those that if it's any closer to the angle of crossbar and post, that it grazes one of them. You know, that's how close into the corner it was. And again, it was curling away and into that side netting, really out, out of the grasp of any goalkeeper. Whereas... The sort of the low drive, I, I kind of thought it. Well, it didn't go. It didn't like sort of hit the post. It was mm. relatively close to the goalkeeper, so I, I had to go for the free kick. I'd uh, agree aesthetically. I think the technique on the volley was obviously. I mean, you can't fault it, but the the aesthetics of the free kick were something else. The uh, the the best part of the second goal, again, and the beauty of having the lovely wife of mine sat next to me is that Muriel heads off to the uh, Atalanta bench. And I don't realise that she's sat here watching next to me. And then he's gone over and she's gone, who's that lady that he's lifting up? Only to turn my head and realise it's Jampier Gasparini. (laughs) And (laughs) he does sport a haircut that my mother has been sporting (laughs) when she got into her advancing years. And he's just not been back to his to his barber, obviously. He's had a hard time. Yeah, he had the coronavirus, Kev. Leave him alone. It it was it just it just added to the moment of her thinking that uh, he was lifting some some random elderly lady that had sort of somehow wandered into the Atalanta dugout. Yeah, I don't know why she instantly went to the, you know, thinking that there was some elderly lady there. Yeah, I mean, you would just assume it's an old man. Surely, your first assumption would be, old man, probably coach. And Stacey goes to football as well. She should should have this. Her head's so, you know, engrossed in her, you know, Facebook uh, or her phone or whatever she's scrolling through there, you know. She says the first stupid thing that comes into her head. She doesn't listen to this podcast, so I can say that. Fair enough. She, she probably can't hear you through the, the ceiling and floor. If she's directly above it, then I... Um, oh, right. So that's that. Uh, what else is there? Uh, it's really hard. Ah, speaking of teams from Lombardia, uh, Brescia went 2-0 up against Genoa. And just as it looked like they had Vito's face drop. And I'm laughing. We've got opposite emotions on this one. Just as it looked like Brescia might have some life in them, Vito, Genoa came storming back. They they were 2-0 down. They drew 2-2. And it's a result that neither team wanted, really. No, not at all. I mean, Brescia just had one job to hold on to that lead, and they didn't. They gave away two penalties, and... Uh, you know, both teams share the spoils, and it's not really beneficial for either side. Interesting point I want to make up, not necessarily about this particular game, but uh, Bresh in general. There was an interview a few days ago where someone in one of the presses asked the Brescia coach, Diego Lopez, uh, are you going to go for uh, all-out attacking approach in the Zdenic Zeman style? And uh, Diego Lopez responded, if we play like that, we're going to get relegated. Well, if anything, they were 2-0 up early, and it seemed like in that case, the Zeman approach was better. So, And not only that, um, I think uh, Danik Zeman has done more with his coaching career than Diego Lopez. So, you know, um, you know, pragmatists have their own methods, but uh, Zeman, the maverick that he's been, in my eyes, he's the greatest coach never to have won a major trophy. But I think... What he's done over 30 years or so is still more impressive to me than what Diego Lopez has done so far. Yeah, if you're going down, go down with a fight, you know. Come out, 
all guns blazing and see what happens. I I'd agree with that. Brescia looked dead and buried, so just go for it. You know, in Sardinia there was a a bit of a crazy game. Cagliari went three 0 up against Torino, and then Torino pulled two back, and Cagliari got one pretty soon after. But Rajan Angelan scored. Giovanni Simeone, I think that's now three and three for him. And Joao Pedro right. penalty. Uh, Nandez had opened the scoring for them, whereas Bremer and Andrea Balotti scored for Torino. Kev, um, good to see Cagliari back to winning ways. Yeah, absolutely. It would have been a real shame if uh, Torino had got anything out of that. I think I tweeted game over uh, when they went 3-0 up uh, <laughs> about 30 seconds into the second half because they'd had a goal disallowed or a pen- penalty um, not awarded just before the break that you thought would have put them out of sight. Um, but yeah, they, they played some nice stuff. I think just for the, the performances of Nangalen, uh, Jao Pedro this year, um, they deserve to maybe finish a little higher up the table if they can get a few wins under their belt in the last few weeks. Yeah, well, they're, they're still in that little interesting group with Verona and Padma, so who knows? Who knows what's going to happen there? Vito Sampdoria lost again, this time at home to Bologna, and Muzabaro, Riccardo Rossellini, two players you quite like, scoring against that must have hurt. Bonazzoli got the goal for <laughs> Sam. Are they just missing Quagliarella? Uh, well, that's what I think it is. Since... Uh, Serie A has returned from the pandemic. Um, Quayarella has not played, so I think his experience and his flair is really crucial to this team if if we want to steer clear from relegation. When we had the first pod uh, back before uh, the Serie A commenced again, I was uh, a bit pessimistic, or I was just saying that, you know, I'm just happy to survive relegation, just play down expectations. And I think so far uh, it shows that, you know, I was probably right to play things down because three losses out of three is not impressive at all. And at home to Bologna, uh, I do think Bologna are a decent side under Sinisa Mihalovic, but um, I felt that, you know, with all due respect to the Felsenar, I think that was one team where some probably should have got at least the points at home, but it wasn't to be. Yeah, it's one of those, you just have to pick up the points in these games, don't you? But playing in, in whatever way, it's you just have to pick them up. Kev, Sassuolo drew 3-3 again against Verona this time. Should people just start betting on Sassuolo to score and concede, basically, to draw 3-3 every week? Well, when I was considering putting a bet on this week, I did look at uh, Sassuolo and Atalanta and thought, oh, is there the potential for three or more goals in both of these games? And and actually, this was one of those that reminded me again that, well, that feeling of the football truly being back because we had four games kicking off at the same time. And it wasn't until I was partially through the uh, the highlights before coming on here that I realised that everything had happened in the second half. Yeah. I don't know Literally if Literally everything was scoreless at half time. Um, but, but yeah, it, it seemed like a a really sort of end-to-end game, although um, Verona were 3-1 up and you'd f- you would have thought with the way they've been playing this uh, this season, they might have seen that out, but Sassolo still have that ability to score almost on will, uh, at will, on will, at will, uh, and not defend. There's no stopping Jeremy Bolger, mate. Any team with Jeremy Bolger and it's going to score goals. And Another any love. team with Roberto De Zerbi in charge is going to concede goals. So, perfect recipe. Perfect recipe. Guys, that's it. That is it. We've, we're done. Quite nice. Enjoyable. Yeah. Anyone have nice anything else to say? No. no. Oh, I have something to say. I, I spoke to a man who drove 500 kilometres to come to Parma for a game that's being played behind closed doors. Really? It's interesting, isn't it? And he was Italian? No, Croatian. Ah, oh, okay. He lives in Croatia. I did a piece before the Inter game, just kind of was intrigued to see how fans' routines are, are changing with the with the games being played behind closed doors and stuff. So I spoke to, I think, five or six fans altogether, and some of them are basically just going about their business as as if the games were being played, still doing the same things, but not going to the stadium. So they're still like wearing their lucky scarves, their lucky shirts and stuff. Whereas this guy is literally doing a 1,000-kilometer round trip with his 12-year-old daughter to watch from a secret location in the city center, which I cannot reveal because, yeah. <laughs> um, so 
I mean, that's it's mad. So head over to ForzaItalianFootball.com and read that because if I do say so myself, it's quite a good one. It's quite a good one. Um, Kev, you've obviously not read it, which is disheartening. But I, uh, I think I saw you promote promoting it. Well, that's even worse that you didn't read it. But I'm struggling to get any time to do much at the moment, even on lockdown. Stop misusing prepositions. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. That, that, the, the editor of me come out there. That's it. That's how I want to read a lot of your work. Uh, I'm not a wordsmith like our uh, our young Irish friend here. But then again, who's our young <laughs> Irish friend? Just because I'm not Silence. young. Silence. I mean, I'm young. Mm. <laughs> anyway, guys, is that it? Yeah, that's it. That's it. All right. Um, yeah. As ever, head to ForzaItalianFootball.com for all of your Serie A coverage, opinion, news, matches. I don't know. What else do we do? We do podcasts. Um, I think that's about it, isn't it? That's about all there is to do, to be fair about football. But yeah, we do it all. And as of this weekend, we are officially back at the games. No one else is at the games. So there were 29 members of the press today at Parma. And I counted, not it's not precise, but I think about 15 of them were written press. So, I mean, we're in quite a good position with Parma, clearly. Next weekend, I'm trying to see, will we be at games again? We will. Well, we hope to be. I might be at two games. So, fingers crossed, Sassuolo are feeling generous. Sassuolo Lecce, and that's going to be a cracker, let's be honest. And then, hopefully, back at the Tardini for Parma Fiorentina. So... See what happens. Bye. Bye bye. Yeah. Lo sai per un gol. Io darei la vita, la mia vita, in fondo lo so. Sarà una partita infinita. Un sogno che ho.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 